This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible. There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen, and oxygen, and nitrogen, and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, protactinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and thallium. You're listening to Radio Kidnappers, the voice of Hawke's Bay, and I'm Lynn Trafford presenting Hawke's Bay Scientists on Air on behalf of the Hawke's Bay branch of the Royal Society T.R. Parangi. This program is your opportunity to meet practicing and recently retired scientists from around the Bay. With me in the studio today is Keith Vincent, a semi-retired soil scientist. From a young age, Keith Vincent has held a fascination with soil and, as he saw New Zealand as a nation of primary industry, went to Victoria University of Wellington to formalise his interest in soil. Graduating with a BSc Honours in Geology, Keith Vincent began a career that was to see him become something of an expert in soil mapping. Working for the DSIR, Land Care Research and in association with various regional councils and catchment boards, Keith Vincent has over the years mapped huge sections of New Zealand's soils. Semi-retired today, Keith Vincent still keeps his hand in at plant and food research in Havelock North and by offering professional soil advice as called for. We welcome Keith Vincent to Hawke's Bay Scientists on Air. Hello, Keith. G'day, how are you doing? I'm splendid, thank you. Lovely to have you with us in the studio today. I want to go right back to your uh, your place of birth and where you actually come from, just so we can get that record straight. Whereabouts were you born and where did you go to school, please, Keith? I was born in Wellington and I went to Karori School in my primary school years and uh, Wellington College uh, for my secondary school. Was there a time when you were at school when you thought, actually, I'm quite enjoying science and maybe I could get a living out of being a scientist? Did that happen to you whilst at school? Uh, perhaps not so much. No, I, um, I, I just was an ordinary school student, I guess, and... Um, it was later that I, I, I got interested in, in, in my soils. Okay, let's go to there then. 1975, off you go to Victoria University to study soil. Yep. Uh-huh. So your major was in geology. How did you enjoy university? Did it sort of pull it all together for you? Did it make it solid and, and make you think, yes, I can do this and this is where I want to be? Uh, yes, certainly it did. Um, I chose subjects, geology, botany, as well as other things, chemistry, uh, that you have to do really, uh, that all underpinned and gave the foundation for exactly what I wanted to do. And I, and I did feel that I was able to uh, achieve what I wanted to in that way. Did you enjoy being at university? Uh, yes, I did enjoy it, yes. What was yep. good about it? Oh, I, I think I'm a scholar and I just like that kind of lifestyle of, yeah. of learning and um, you know making conclusions about things. Did it give you a time to reflect that geology might be a career for you? Did you you reflect on that? Because uh, doing a degree like this, you could have gone off in different ways, couldn't you? 
Yes, well, I, I could have easily gone off in different ways, but for some reason I kept with my original plan. I felt it was a fairly good good way forward, and I, de- I definitely wanted to achieve it. I thought it was a, a sensible outcome to work towards. Okay, when you finished your BSc honours, you stayed on at Vic. What were you doing there for a wee while after you finished the degree? Right, well, um, then, as now, uh, you can't always walk into the job that you want, so I ended up getting a job that was in the university, uh, working for a, uh, a research fellow at the uh, in the botany department at the university, and he was uh, doing a lot of work on palynology, which is the study of pollen. And um, in the modern day, obviously, people with allergies know what pollen is. But yeah, we do. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And But in the geological record, and especially for the more recent geological record, it's very useful for piecing together what, for example, the climate is based on the plants that are found in, in the various bogs and things that we were sampling. Um, so there were two parts to that job which were great. Um, one was doing field work and, and assembling information on um, little studies around New Zealand. Um, and the other big job I did was to actually complete a, a collection of pollen uh, for New Zealand, which was then um, handed on to geological nuclear sciences as, as well as being held in the botany department. So it was quite a good contribution uh, to the scientific uh, nature of, of that material. There comes a time, though, when it's time to get a real proper job and start earning the dollar or paying off the debt or all of the above or something. In 1980, you start working for DSIR as a soil scientist. So here comes the dream. It's coming real. That's absolutely correct. Yes, I was very pleased to be able to uh, get out to Soil Bureau DSIR, which was out in Taita in those days in Lower Hutt and uh, to, to begin meeting and working with the people who I would continue with and for my whole career pretty much. 1980, what, what do we expect of a soil scientist in 1980? It's a wee while ago now, so the life would be slightly different maybe from a soil scientist just starting out today. What did they do with you? Well, in the early days, uh, I was given just some uh, very straightforward technical tasks, assisting other, other scientists um, initially. And um, uh, funny thing about working for the DSIR, it was essentially a very secure government job at that time. That was all to change. But, um, but at that time, I was just looking forward to getting on. So after about a year, I started working on my own uh, project in the Wairapa, uh, of course, I was supervised by uh, senior scientists, but I was off to look at the uh, erosion and the in the hill country uh, in, in, in the Wairarapa. So what did you find out? We know our hills erode, and some of them are quite good at it. Yes, too. yes. So what did you find they, in they the Wairarapa? Really so what we were looking at uh, was pretty much a problem right up and down the east coast of the North Island especially. Uh, I was looking specifically at the different moisture levels in the different uh, eroded soils uh, to see how quickly they, they came back to any, any form of how they were before the erosion occurred. Um, yep, so that was, that was kind of the basis of my, most of my work, as well as mapping out the soils and, and just describing where they occur in the landscape to try and predict where the slips were the worst. Did you, were you able to do a comparative between the hill country in the Wairarapa and hill country in other parts of New Zealand? Were you able to compare that or were you just focusing on Wairarapa? Uh, for my specific project, it was just the Wairarapa, but uh, I was working in collaboration with other scientists uh, who were working all around uh, in the different sites around the country, so we were able to compare on that basis. So yes. was Wairarapa different in any way? 
Uh, oh, there are always differences in, in, in geological material, if you like, and slight differences in the hills, but mostly there were common uh, things that we could compare across and that were very standard across uh, that type of hill country on the, uh, in, in that area, yep. We've kind of gone past a little bit, but I want to go backwards because field officers around New Zealand at the beginning of the 1980s were sampling soils, looking at the chemical composition of soils and the microbiology of soils and putting that all in maps, which was something that you turned out to be rather good at. But why was it important to do that, Keith? Right, well, uh, this, well, I can just uh, mention about the Soil Bureau DSIR, which was a department, uh, sorry, a division of the Department of Scientific Industrial Research. We had a staff of about 130 in total, but about 30 of those were people in the field offices, as you describe. And, uh, and, and these are people who and were known as pedologists. Um, it's a Greek word, really. Um, and so the main brief for the field officers was to kind of being in, being in touch with a lot of users of the information information so and also becoming aware of um, issues that might arise uh, so a, a lot of reasons for having having this uh, to be covered uh, certainly including uh, land use planning which is where our catchment boards or regional councils uh, would ask us for information uh, there were obviously some environmental issues which needed to be addressed based on what soils were and where they were uh, and, and the land users, of course, wanted to know where certain soils were so that they could plan or buy the correct land for any type of horticultural or agricultural purpose. Um, there's all sorts of, of things that obviously the soil affects. And so uh, the people in the field offices mostly were aware of where they were through mapping as as well as who was wanting what information. And then often that, that request played back into a lot of the experts who were assembled at, at the headquarters um, in Lower Hutt. And, and it gave rise to a lot of scientific research, which was of a, a very high standard, especially by world standards. We always had lots of visiting scientists coming to Were we us. good at that time of making certain that we used our soil for the right thing, that we used soil that was good for growing for growing and soil that wasn't good for growing for putting buildings on? Did, did we get it right? Uh, I believe we did. Uh, we had a, a very uh, rigorous process. Um, in those days, we were using the Town and Country Planning Act as, as the legislation to protect soils of high value for food production, for example. And, and Soil Bureau, in fact, produced a lot of maps of soil, the value of soils for food production. Um, th these played somehow as well into the land use capability maps which the Ministry of Works produced. Uh, but, but overall, whenever there was a, a question of land that was being disputed, whether it should be developed for housing or, or, or some other purpose, uh, we would have to be involved as, as witnesses. And, um, and, and many times that guaranteed the security of the, the, the better soils so that they weren't built on. Um, I fear that that's now something that hasn't happened much recently. And we're seeing a bit of... It's a whole different topic, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is actually. We, we better not get too started yeah, on Yeah, we that. better not. We'll, I think we'll just stick in the mid-1980s where we were trying to do things properly. And maybe at the end of the interview, if we have time, we can make some comments about that. In the mid to late 1980s, you went down to Marlborough. Soil mapping down there again, were you? Yes, yes. What did uh, you find down there that was different from the Wairarapa? 
Well, we were requested down there by the catchment board because they wanted to be able to uh, plan for how much water would be used for irrigation because they could see that there was going to be a need for it. So the big difference, of course, between the Wairapa Hills and the Wairau Plains around Blenheim was that I was working in flatter country, uh, but also country that was destined for horticultural use rather than agricultural use. Um, at the time, there was a lot of dry land farming going on in Marlborough, but, but clearly the, the production of wine was becoming a big thing in this country already. And, um, and, and so uh, that's, that's really, uh, that was really where I started to do some uh, full-time soil mapping with my colleagues from the Nelson office. And um, we produced a soil map of the Wairau Plains for that, for that very reason. And as it turned out, it was a bit of a defining moment for you. Absolutely, what, yes. So what happened as a result of this mapping? Well, we started off in winter, I'll never forget it, and they were pretty drab, dark and wet days, some of those days, where you had to finish work at four o'clock. And then um, after, after several weeks, we'd worked our way up into some, uh, into some of the southern valleys. And um, one day we'd, we'd dug some soil pits, and I was looking at these soils, which were rather stony soils, and I just knew that these would be very suitable for growing grapes on. And, and that sense of what was a good soil for viticulture stayed with me then for the rest of my career. And earned you a few bottles of wine, maybe? Well, actually, yes, perhaps one or two. <laughs> I should hope so. Uh, so that was, your, that was kind of like a turning point for you. Uh, what, how did they use the maps down there? Did they take what you were doing and say, OK, grapes here tomatoes here whatever tobacco here to some extent that's the dream of how you should use a soil map um in marlborough or in or for grape growing in general um the information is more often used for choosing the right rootstock uh, because okay. a rootstock will uh, depend on on you know just how vigorous a soil might be how much soil water it contains um uh, there's also um need for planning of irrigation for the that you use the soil material uh, that my soil maps were produced for. Um, so things like that. Uh, and, yeah, that's pretty much it. Or even saying whether or not a block of land should be put into viticulture or not because some sites really were a bit too wet or had other problems. Okay. Fair enough, fair enough. 1991, you come to Hawke's Bay. That's correct. Oh, who did you go to in Hawke's Bay, please, Keith? Well, by that time, there'd been a lot of uh, changes in DSIR and across science in general and through New Zealand. So I was now working for a division of land and soil sciences uh, within DSIR, just a name change in some respects, but it also reflected a upheaval in staff. Uh, so I was, I was um, restationed into Havelock North and um, working eventually for what became land care research, Menaki Whenua Land Care Research. Uh, and so while I was there, I mean, I was there for a number of years, of course, and um, we were working on different projects. So I pretty much left the viticultural type uh, projects I'd been working with in Marlborough at that point and plugged into some other projects uh, along with my colleagues. I want to talk about water because yep. you were working on various water That's projects, right. weren't yes, you? Yes, yes. And uh, some of them in conjunction with the well-known Heratonga Aquifer. That's correct, yeah. All right. What were we doing at that time? And did it form some sort of a basis upon which was to come, I guess, some decades of use of that particular aquifer? Sure. Per se. Um, mm. Well, well, as as we started with water use requirements on the Wairau Plains, um, water is 
be coming under pressure everywhere. And so we, we began in conjunction with the Hawke's Bay Regional Council a study on developing a, uh, a scientific approach to allocating water resources, um, not necessarily to deny anyone any water, but to to state which soils needed how much, if you like. Um, so that was one of our major projects I worked with Jim Watt my colleague Jim Watt on um, and we produced that but I'm but because yeah I'm not sure where that ended up in the long run uh, in the other rather major project which we worked on um, which stood everyone in good stead really was a study of uh, pesticide uh, penetration into the groundwater um, because I don't know if people realise, but the Heratonga Plains Aquifer is huge. In fact, it extends right out under the sea. Uh, but, but on the plains here, we have what we call the unconfined aquifer and the confined aquifer. And the, the, the piece of land uh, under the confined aquifer, well, it's pretty safe because anything you spill on that won't penetrate into the groundwater. But the unconfined aquifer up, up around Natara Road and around that area um, is unconfined, so anything that goes in the ground there will end up in our drinking water, if you like. Uh, so we were very interested to see what happened to pesticides that were applied onto the land surface, and then we would measure them as they, as they appeared in the groundwater. Uh, so this was a very good study which looked at different, uh, different types of pesticides with different mobilities and different persistence times uh, and just measuring it as, it as it reached the groundwater and how long it, it stayed there for. So that's a very good project in collaboration once again with Jim Watt and also ESR, uh, Murray Close, a scientist with ESR. Uh, we, we, we got a lot of um, similar projects that arose out of that one. These kinds of studies are, of course, ongoing, aren't they? They are, yes, yes. Today we have technicians that are rushing around all over the place testing water all the time and a lot of specifics into pesticides, uh, sprays, being the sort of area that we are here in Hawke's Bay, all that kind of stuff has been used above land for years, hasn't it? Yes, yes, that's right. Yep, yep. Um, Do you follow still today what is happening with that aquifer and what is happening with that water coming out of it? I, I, I try. I, I try it, really. to follow. Yes, <laughs> you're very aware, and you know when someone's telling little fibs too. Um, but however, <laughs> we won't talk no. about those. We won't talk about those. Did you get a chance during this period of time to still get back to looking at what the viticulturalists were doing? Particularly in the bay here, maybe? Uh, not as directly as I had, except okay. that people um, in the industry got wind of the fact that I was here. So I had numerous consultations um, over maps in my map room at, at uh, Landcare Research as to where things were. And so quite often that might then spill over into a request for more specific information, such as going out and digging, digging holes in the ground and, and giving a rundown of what the, the soils actually were. Um, and so um, that fitted quite well because by that time we were in, in government science expected to get some commercial work, as we called it. And it turned out that I was reasonably good at this, and um, I did like developing a customer a customer focus, and and got on very well with everyone I dealt with. Um, so, and and that really served me well in the in the ensuing years. Did you see much change of land use at that time? I mean, Hawke's Bay was known for zonks as a wonderful place for lamb. Uh, yes. But when you looked at the land that some of these poor sheep had to try and exist upon, 
you'd sort of wonder how they did it sometimes. Yes, well, um, well, it's a dry land agriculture in many respects that causes that problem. Um, one thing I really like about Hawke's Bay is the, is the, is the diversity of agriculture here uh, because on the various soils on the plains, I think we have done it about right. We've got, you know, pip fruit on some of the wetter soils. It's still highly fertile, but wetter than the soils you'd use grapes for. And so, therefore, the grapes are more around the perimeter um, on the stony on the stony soils or the dry soils, and um, and although there is some obviously some extension of grapes onto the hills and in, in that, then you've also got the more traditional agriculture, sheep and beef maybe up on the hill country. So I, that, that's something I really do like about Hawke's Bay is is the diversity. You really need to contrast that with Marlborough, where I have seen a huge change, uh, which I describe as wall to wall viticulture. Pretty much everywhere you look is covered in vines mm, uh, because the, the name Marlborough is um, you know uh, such a defining uh, hallmark if you like for Sauvignon Blanc uh, around the world so we're well, good on them but it does mean that they're growing grapes on every soil type so that's something else you perhaps should not get me started on right now. <laughs> <laughs> there comes a period of time when you decide to go into business for yourself consulting on soils and the use of soils for uh, viticulture and horticultural developments across New Zealand. Did you enjoy working for yourself after all this time? Well, yes, I did form a company and I did service requests for the industry for about 10 years. And But, but in, in many respects, uh, working on my own was a bit of a downside. It's quite hard to work science on your own. It's really nice to have the collegiality of, of, of fellow scientists. And um, I did miss that. Uh, but I, I got it in different ways, I suppose. But the actual job I was doing, sure, was was mostly soil survey for viticulture and, and you know outlining all the pros and cons of various sites and arranging the arranging the um, the irrigation and trying to get uniformity of um, of berry uh, development you know berry ripening over over different soil types and and we did achieve this in a number of cases so I'm, I feel I'm very proud about that in 2009 you take a leap off at a tangent here and zoom across to Hamilton to attend Waikato University what did you study over there, Keith? Well, I did a complete change, actually. Uh, by this time, the pressure from the wine uh, development had eased. Uh, I'd always been the person who people asked to help when they had a computer problem in the office, and so I would come along and fix the problem, and they would ask me, well, how do you know this? And I, I just said, I thought everybody knew this. So I went to Waikato Uni to, to perhaps consolidate and retrain for that. Uh, I did actually complete a, com- a degree in computing and computing and mathematical sciences um, but but in many ways that was the last thing I really achieved because I didn't end up getting a job in that industry um, in fact I came back to prefer working as you know a semi-retired professional person in my actual soils expertise. You also did some post-grad studies in linguistics which yes. kind of surprised me you had obviously nothing else to do on a Wednesday night so you went to study no, linguistics. No 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 it wasn't anything like that at all. <laughs> Um, computing science you, it's and a whole different computer language and you get recommended to take a, a well another subject in this case because of linguistics it's about language I found I really loved it so um, it was too late to develop as a career move but it was really interesting to do so yeah the things you do you do don't you you do <laughs> and sometimes you have to do these kinds of things just for yourself and for a form of relaxation if you like back to Hawke's Bay you come in 
2014 and pick up again doing soil science in so much as you can and casual work at plant and food have you enjoyed coming back to the bay absolutely i really do like uh, the hawks bay i realized it was home and so it's nice to know something and then i know that for sure and yes, it's been nice to work doing casual work at Plant of Food. It's very great to be uh, working in a, a scientific institution, to be honest. And still doing some work on soil research? Uh, sporadically, I'll, I'll still respond to requests for informational jobs, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yep. and that yep. must be quite good, keep the old brain active. It's very good to know the brain's still able to do these things. always <laughs> <laughs> isn't it? Thank you, Keith Vincent, semi-retired soil scientist. Thank you for being my guest on Hawkspace Scientist on Air. If you have not, of recent times, looked at the website of Victoria University of Wellington, do have a look at the courses available for a Bachelor of Science and all the studies and research available in association with geology. There is much online. If you have never attended any of the monthly lectures on offer from the Hawke's Bay branch of the Royal Society of New Zealand, hit Google to see what is coming up that you are most welcome to attend. Please join me every Monday morning at 9.30 to meet another practising or recently retired scientist from around the bay. I'm Lynn Trafford. ...which the news has come to Harvard And there may be many others but they haven't been discovered This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible.